Hi, I'm Jennifer McGill, former Mouseketeer of the Disney Channel's new Mickey Mouse Club, and you are listening to Stories of the Magic. Welcome to Stories of the Magic, an unofficial Disney podcast with your host, Randy Crane. Hear stories from Disney cast members, Imagineers, artists, and more right here on Stories of the Magic. And now, here's your host, Randy Crane. Welcome to Episode 31 of Stories of the Magic. I'm Randy, your host. Thank you for joining me. I'm sure some of you have considered calling or writing in to share a story with me, or even say that you're interested in being interviewed, but you've thought, I'm not famous, I didn't have a high-profile or important job, no one would want to hear from me. I want you to know that we do want to hear from you. Your stories, and who you are, is valuable. You don't have to be famous or have a high-profile or, quote, important job to be on Stories of the Magic. That's why I'm very glad to be able to bring to you today Rachel Schur. She was a college program cast member working at Disney's Hollywood Studios, Disney MGM Studios at the time. And when she started listening to the podcast, she heard my invitation and took me up on it. It turns out she had some fun things to share and some interesting experiences and insights that are unique to her because she is unique. And she got a chance to share that, and I'm so glad that she did. So, not only do I hope you enjoy the interview, if you've thought about calling or writing in, I hope it will encourage you to do just that. In this episode, Rachel talks about performing at Walt Disney World with her high school dance troupe, getting into the Walt Disney World College program, stories of the backlot tour, including learning the attraction, memorizing the spiel, some fun things she did on her tours that were unique to her, being there for the change-out to the current version of the tour, and having to relearn the spiel, and more. Why attraction narrations are called spiels and not scripts. Honestly, it's something I'd never thought of, and I think it's pretty interesting. How her college program experience was different from most, mainly from living in the international program housing instead of the usual college program housing. Her multicultural Easter-slash-Passover dinner party being an extra on the Mission Space video shoot and what she learned from it, being an extra on the Philhar Magic promo video shoot, and some different lessons learned from that one, and her very first memory, which just happens to be a memory of Walt Disney World. Before we get to Rachel's interview, I'm very excited to share two things with you. First, Ears for Isaac reached its goal. If you contributed to this project to help Aaron and Teresa Robbins tell their story, and the story of their son Isaac, thank you. Second, usually I'm the one doing the interviews, but I have had a couple of chances to be on the other end of the questions. Being a guest on Wedway Now episode 30 and the Sweep Spots episode 68, as well as my multiple appearances on the Tales from the Mouse House Disneyland podcast. I had another opportunity to do that a couple of weeks ago, this time with my wife Faye. Rick and Amy Moyer interviewed us on their podcast, Take Him With You the promo for which I'll be playing shortly. So please, check us out on episode 216. We talk some Disney, of course, but we get to cover quite a bit more ground than usual in that interview, and it was a lot of fun. Now, a brief word from a fellow podcaster and friend, and it's going to come as no surprise to you who that is. And then it's time to turn the page and start this story. Hi, this is Rick Moyer. 
and this is Amy Moyer, and we are the hosts of Take Him With You. The weekly podcast where we discuss life at the geeky Moyer's home, and then we talk about our faith and how it relates to the world around us. Very, very positive podcast, and we think you really enjoy it. And I love Star Trek and heavy metal music. And I like Star Trek. And heavy metal music. And I hate heavy metal music. (laughs) (laughs) Want to hear more of our banter? You can by listening to our podcast. Where can they find it? You can find it at TakeHimWithYou.com or iTunes. That's right, iTunes. And now, this week's interview on Stories of the Magic. In each episode, I invite you to contact me if you've worked for Disney and would like to share a story or be interviewed. Well, in this episode, I get to share with you someone who has taken me up on that offer, and I'm very glad she did. Rachel Shear's connection to Disney goes back quite a ways. As a senior in high school, her dance troupe was invited to perform on the Tomorrowland stage in Walt Disney World, and that set into motion her need to work there. Now, she made it happen, much like my guest Nate Parrish did, through the Disney College program. But the experience that sets her apart is her participation in a video shoot for the opening of Mission Space in 2003. Her footage was in Disney's Christmas Day Parade in 2003, and for many years following, and in other TV shows where they recut the footage for new programming. To this day, you can spot her, the Red Shirt Girl, on Disney Park's Ultimate Walt Disney World, available through Netflix. This experience, as well as one with PhilharMagic, helped her get her first experience on a professional set, and that has impacted her career significantly since then. She no longer works for Disney, but she hasn't officially ruled out the dream of making ride videos or working for Walt Disney Imagineering yet. That dream is still lurking in the background. In the meantime, Rachel, welcome to Stories of the Magic. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. So you gave me a little bit of background in the email that you sent when we first corresponded, but tell me about how you got started working at Walt Disney World and what you did there. Okay, so, you know, like everybody else that you talk to, I grew up in a Disney family, and, you know, everyone at my school was pretty big Disney fans too, including my dance instructor. So she reached out to the Disney company on our behalf and said, you know, we... We love what you guys do, and she'd heard about some program where they allow the dancers to come down and perform. I don't know if she had to send in any kind of submission of you know past performances. I don't know if there's any kind of looking at us to see if we are qualified, but sure enough, Disney said, sure, bring them down, and they put us on the Tomorrowland stage in Walt Disney World, and we got to perform, which was like the most incredible experience you can ever imagine. I think I was 17 at the time, so we got to walk backstage. Of course, we thought we were hot shots and, you know, VIPs, and it was very cool. So my dance instructor made that happen, a dream come true for all of us. Oh, that's fantastic. What was it like like, actually being up on the stage? Because I think you'd been to Walt Disney World before this as a guest, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what was it like then performing there for other guests? You know, when when you're watching TV, there's that, we call it a, a fourth wall. So when you're a guest in Disney, you see everything from one perspective. Mm-hmm. When you're up on stage, that perspective is flipped. So you're, it's like you're standing on that fourth wall and looking the other way. And it was just 
interesting. You're literally risen not that far above everybody else, but you're, you know, a good two feet off the ground and you're just looking down on the guests as they meander by. And, you know, when you're not looking down and making sure you're putting your foot in the right place and making sure you're not going to run into another dancer, you know, it's an interesting perspective. And the first time I actually got to see it from anything other than a guest point of view. Hmm. Was it like you thought it would be? Um, I don't know what I thought it would be. I thought it would be an interesting, different experience, and it definitely was. But I think, yeah, I guess it was what I, you know, if I had any kind of preconceived notions, then yeah, I guess it was. Okay. Um, so that was how you first connected with Disney as far as, not not just as a guest, but like as quote-unquote working there, even though you were performing there, you weren't really working there, you were performing there. But then that was kind of the the hook that then led you into the college program later, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we had something in high school called senior projects. And so originally I was trying to do my senior project there. I wanted to go down to Disney World for two weeks and call it schoolwork, basically. And <laughs> nice work if you can get it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, you know, at that time, I didn't know really what I wanted to do. The back of my mind was video production, but I had no experience in there. So, you know, I just thought if I could just go down to Disney World work in guest relations or, you know, any kind of hospitality, just it would be a dream come true. And we had this guy who was assigned as our, I guess he's a guest relations tour guide of some sort. And my 17-year-old brain is like, well, I can network with him. And, of course, he can get me a job. Why wouldn't he be able to? Of course. Um, so <laughs> I, was, I gave him the pitch like every other person ever does. And he gave me a very well-rehearsed pitch back. <laughs> and, you know, he was great. He actually gave me his email address, and we kept in touch for a little while. And it wasn't until after uh, maybe two or three emails that he actually, I think, had looked into it for me and said, look, you got to be 18. We can't hire you. But go do this college program when you're eligible, and we'll see you then. So that's how I got into the college program. And, of course, I had to, you know, apply and interview, and I was so nervous and, you know, shaking. I had forgotten, I think, like half of my application papers for my interview with the, the campus recruiter, and I was like, oh, I screwed myself up. I'm not going to get the job. And I was sure that I had ruined it for myself, but I hadn't. So thanks to that guy taking the extra step, he put me on the right path, if you will. And that's how that happened. Interesting. Yeah, when we think about cast members taking an extra step uh, or going out of their way to help a guest, I don't think we ever really think of it in that way. So that's great. I'm glad he did that. Yeah, yeah, it was really nice of him. Yeah. Now, once you started in the college program, what did you do actually working there? Well, I heard actually one of the other interviews, they said that they really wanted to be the tour guide on the Jungle Cruise, Mm -hmm. and that was my dream job, and I remember telling the recruiter, that's exactly what I want to do, and of course, like everybody else, I did not get that job, but um, something similar, they put me in the backlot tour. So I wasn't telling really bad jokes, but I was touring people around and giving the spiel, taking them through Catastrophe Canyon, and um, making their day a little bit wetter. <laughs> nice. Yeah. And that's back when the backlot tour was a 
pretty long backlot tour, not the abbreviated yeah. version there is now, right? Yeah, it was a much, honestly, better version in my opinion. I was there during the whole reconfiguring, and actually we got shut down for a couple of weeks while they came through to reimagine the whole thing, and it was such a shame, and you could see all the cast members who'd been working it for years and how sad they were that their favorite parts were taken out. Sure, I can understand that. With it being a longer tour, I imagine the spiel was pretty long that you had to memorize as well, right? It was. And I learned that they can't call it a script, even though it looked like a script, because that means that we were actors and we'd have to get paid by union rates. Interesting. I had no idea. Okay. Yep. So it is officially a spiel. Hmm. Learn something new. (laughs) Yeah, it took us um, probably two weeks, I think, into my college program to be essentially certified, you know, because we did everything. It was a rotation. So I I drove the shuttle that had, I don't know, six to eight cars on it, and I had to know how to park it and park it properly because you have to line up to a, a, a light so that if there's any handicapped people, the the ramp will come down properly. Mm-hmm. And that, and you have to memorize the the spiel, but you don't just want to read the spiel. They were very adamant that you needed to ingest the spiel and then give it back with some personality and really make it your own. And so, yeah, we went around probably two weeks of driving an empty shuttle and talking to myself. <laughs> So is that how you learned the spiel was just pretty much repetition in going through the day? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I found that wow. I learned the material, not just like word for word, but just really learned this is the animation building. This is what they've done there. Then that made it so much better because I was telling people something rather than just being a parrot, you know, and, you know, parroting is very hard, but if you are sharing a piece of knowledge, that's actually pretty easy. That's true. That's actually a really good tip for memorizing things. Yeah. <laughs> you learned the story behind it, and you learned what it was you were talking about, not just the words, and then suddenly the words were just, this is the approved way of telling the story that you know. Yeah, and part of the spiel, there were like segments that were optional. So if for some reason the tram broke down or Catastrophe Canyon wasn't working, you got stuck somewhere, they have like alternative things to insert. So approved Disney language to basically say, hold on, hold your horses, we'll we'll get moving again. In the meantime, why don't I tell you this great fact? And then you'd go on to another paragraph. Hmm, wow. Yeah, so if you ever got stuck in Catastrophe Canyon, <laughs> if you ever sang a Kuna Matata, that was probably me as your tour guide. That was a go-to when I would ever get stuck. Oh, really? Yeah, sing along. Why that? Um, well, it means no worries. So okay, if you were right. stuck in the canyon, I didn't want anybody to worry. And um, it passed the time, and most of the time it made people laugh, usually at me, not with me, but that's okay. <laughs> so it was fun. I like to get everybody involved. I mean, I could tell them, I don't even remember anymore, but I, I had certain facts about the canyon I could go to, but they were boring. Mm-hmm. And if you had little kids in that front car with you, it was really fun to put the microphone in their face and have them join in. Nice. <laughs> Do you have a particular favorite part of the spiel that you remember? It doesn't have to be word for word, but just a favorite part of it. Um, no. I I like the beginning intro because that's the part I got to put most personality into. So I remember making jokes about, oh, I don't remember the wording anymore. It was almost 10 years ago. 
but sure. if you were sitting on, I want to say, the left towards the inside of the car, okay, then I always said, say thank you to the people on the right. And then people would look at me really confused. And then I'd say, because the people on the right are going to be closer to the canyon, they're going to absorb all that water or something like that. <laughs> gotcha. At the time, good, I had it well rehearsed, and it was much funnier. But Oh, sure. <laughs> but we got the idea. That's good. Yeah. So did you continue to do the Backlot Tour after everything was reconfigured? I did. Um, at that point, I was pushing really hard to go to the water tank, which is considered the pre-show. Mm-hmm. I just thought that part was more of a stage show, and it was just way cooler and a little bit more interaction with the guests. But I did the Backlot Tour probably for another month or so. And at that point, they started training me on the water tank, and so I was doing both for a while. And I ended my college program over at the water tank doing shows on special effects and how to how Michael Bay makes Pearl Harbor for, essentially. Right. What's the rotation like there? Like I know that there's the cast members that are there at the the front of the line as guests come up and then there's at least what one narrator and there's the ones that help the guests get into the rain gear and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um is that all one set for a rotation or you know, is that broken out where like the person up front doing the talking is kind of that its own position? Yeah, it's it's all part of the same rotation. So if you take the tank and separate that from the shuttles part, then each of those had their own rotation. So you'd go from in the shuttles it was the like greeting people area and getting them into the lines. And then and I don't remember if this is the exact order, but then you'd go to to do the tour, and then once you came back from the tour, you went and actually drove the shuttle, and then you dropped off after that, and you did the unload area. So by the AFI showcase, and at the time, I think they were doing something on villains, mm-hmm. you got to say goodbye, you got to see if everybody had you know a good time, if they had any questions, they would come, come up to you, and you had like this little broom. It looked like a little mini witch's broom that you carried <laughs> around. So if there's any trash, you'd pick it up. There wasn't a whole lot of trash, which was always good, but I, I used to like try to balance the broom on my finger. Okay. Travel circus show. <laughs> Kids really like that. So they came out and they were like, wow, that was cool. Oh, what can you do with that thing? And it's, it's like giving kid a box. It's like, you've got Disney World all around you, but they really wanted to see me balance the broom. So. <laughs> right. That's what we did. And then over at the water tank, it was a greeter outside in the front. Like when you come down the road and um, see the giant shuttle through the window. So that, and then those are the people who picked out who's going to be in the show. And then you had the person on the stage doing the actual performance. And you had people in the, the little hut to get people ready. So they were the ones who gave them the boots and the water gear. Mm-hmm. And then after that, I think there was some kind of unload or, like, standing in the queue to make sure that everybody got down to the shuttles okay. And then okay. You, everyone took a break. So after the rotation, you took a 20-minute break until the next rotation came through. Gotcha. A couple of years ago, it was 2010, uh, my wife and I went to Walt Disney World for the first time. It was for our 10th anniversary. The first park that we spent a full day in was the studios. 
mm-hmm. and the first attraction we did was the backlot tour. Really? And so we were actually up front in the line and had our anniversary buttons on and everything. And the cast member there was like, hey, you want to be in the show? Okay. Oh, so you did get to do it. Yeah, so that was the very first thing that we did, aside from having dinner the night before in the Magic Kingdom. But we didn't really do anything else there. So the first thing we really did was be in the water tank pre-show. That's exciting. Yeah. Did do you know what was coming? Did they warn you? I knew you? a little bit of what was coming because I had kind of read about it a bit. But they they warned us a little, but not a lot. Mostly they said, <laughs> you're going to be wet. <laughs> I hope it was a warm day. It actually was. It was a pretty warm day, so that was a good thing. Okay, good. The guy in the little control room that has the whole big bunch of water dumped on him, mm-hmm. they told him, you're going to get soaked. Yep. Everybody else is going to get wet. <laughs> yeah, that's, and, that's pretty accurate. Yeah, that was about the extent of the information that we got ahead of time. <laughs> and that's what I loved about that show is the the surprise of people's faces, both in the audience and the people who are actually up on stage with you. And it's priceless. My um, my parents came to visit me once, and I didn't tell them what was going to happen. <laughs> and they, they've gone to Disney World lots of times. I'm sure they'd been on the ride, but they didn't pay attention. And so I actually stuck, I think it was my mom, in the control room. And my mom is a very expressive person, especially facial expressions. And she just got dumped on, and she just like, made this <laughs> shrieking noise. And the whole audience started laughing. And I was like, no way to repay my mom for everything she's done. For me, <laughs> very thoughtful of you. Bunch of gallons of water on her head. <laughs> right. So, so your entire college program then was the backlot tour, including the pre-show. That that whole thing was your college program experience, right? Yes. And the couple weeks we were down was spent just learning the new script and training. Okay. Now, since it was down and they were reconfiguring things, did you do it the same way where you kind of went out and drove the route and practiced the spiel, or did you have to do that some other way? Um, I'm trying to remember. I think at some point we started to drive the route, but we did a lot of office training. I, I think they were doing construction, so we couldn't actually get on the route. So we had to just sit at our desks and, and learn the script, which, as I mentioned before, it, it's more difficult when you don't have something. I'm I'm a kinesthetic learner, which means that I like to act things out or movement helps me remember things. Mm -hmm. So to just look at a script day in and day out, I just, I don't remember really getting it. And, you know, eventually I did, but I remember once we were back up having a lot of difficulty remembering where we were because they sort of flipped the order. So we used to go I don't know, through Residential Street and then the Boneyard and end through the costume shop and the animation studio. And then when they flipped everything, we started almost in reverse and went to the animation studio the other direction through the costume shop. No Residential Street, and then they removed the Boneyard over to where it is now. Mm -hmm. So I remember like starting to feel in the beginning there about something that wasn't where we were. Like I'd be talking about the boneyard at the animation studio, then like kick back in because it got into like autopilot, and then be like, oh wait, just kidding, sorry guys. <laughs> <laughs> and it's definitely not the quality of the show that Disney would stand up and you know really applaud. But you know, I had to just make a joke out of it until I finally got my footing down. And once we did the route a certain number of times, and you know it was back to normal. But the transition was 
was a bit of a challenge for me because they, they were constantly moving in, like, the cars for the stunt show. They, they made our parking lot back there into where they were practicing for the stunt show, so they hadn't built a stadium yet. There was just a couple of fancy-looking cars that would drive back and forth, and I don't remember seeing them actually do anything of any interest, but they would, like, just start and get that underway and training for that, and we'd have to work around them. So it seemed like every couple of weeks they were moving our, our route again, and wow. saying, we need this space now, so take your shuttle that way. <laughs> so it, <laughs> it was a, definitely a big transition period. Sounds like it. Man. So how long was the college program for you? Um, I started there in March, and I left in August of 2003. So I went to Ohio University, so we're a quarter system school. So I was on, instead of semester program, I was on quarters. And I was there spring quarter and then summer quarter. Okay. So it sounds like about five or six months. I think so. Okay. That sounds about right. Um, I didn't get a chance to ask Nate about this when he and I talked a little bit about the college program. But aside from working as a cast member, what else did you do? Like what else goes into being a college program person? Mine was a little tiny bit different than maybe Nate's was. They had me living in the international housing because they had run out of room at Vista Way. Wow. So for me, I did a lot of extracurriculars, if you will, with the international students. And I spent a lot of time learning about their cultures and hanging out with them in a college setting. So there was some parties going on. But, you know, there was, I remember one night, the, a bunch of the guys from Africa, all various countries in Africa, had gotten together and they turned pots and pans upside down and they had a drum circle. And it was just the coolest thing. So one of the African guys from Botswana asked me if I wanted to join their African dance troupe, which would have been very cool. Unfortunately, he didn't get it started before my program ended and I left. Oh. But that's one thing I would have done. I would have been really excited about and they, I think, they ended up performing in the Animal Kingdom over by um, Cluster House okay. every now and then, from what I heard. Wow. But besides that, outside of work, we did a bunch of stuff. I like to cook, so we did um, dinners with all of the international students around me, my neighbors, and I, even ones I didn't know, I would go knocking on their doors and invite them over. We're up right about Easter time, so I remember Easter that year, and it's at Passover for me. And I made a giant dinner for all my neighbors. And my parents were in town, and my friend's parents were in town, and we just invited everybody over. And you know, we had people from Mexico, people from Canada, from Norway, from France, from Africa. I think he was from Zimbabwe. And it was just a big cultural melting pot in my apartment. And it was a lot of fun. I don't remember specifically what I made. But all my roommates pitched in. Remember, we went to the grocery store and got, we got stuck at the Publix because a giant lightning storm hit the field that we were supposed to walk across with our shopping cart. Ooh. So, yeah, it was a big ordeal. And you know, that's just one example. But I did a lot of dinners like that where I just try to get everybody and everybody together. You know, where else in the world can you be with other people from all around the world like that in such a melting pot setting? Really? So there was a lot of international cultural exchange going on in my apartment because it just the setting was just perfect for it. Wow, that sounds very cool. That sounds like a lot of fun. 
Yeah, it was a very unique experience. Definitely. And it was the time before Facebook, so I unfortunately didn't keep in touch with as many of those people as I would have liked. Mm-hmm. A couple of people in guest service from Brazil that became very close friends of mine at the time. It just was hard because their internet wasn't always reliable or their email addresses changed and mine changed a couple of times. So I didn't keep in touch as much as I would like. But yeah, we did a lot of cooking and a lot of international hanging out and just learning. So we, we didn't really do a whole lot of organized activities, but together we, we all hung out quite a bit. Then, as I mentioned, other extracurricular activities were um, trying to get onto any set, like any professional set that I could, which I did, as I as I mentioned to you. Mm-hmm. Um, is that what you want me to start talking about? Yeah, let's go ahead and talk about that now, sure. Okay. So there was a, a posting just looking for extras for the college program and anybody and anybody that you knew who would be willing to work overnight unpaid to be an extra in this undisclosed production. They didn't tell you what it was. Wow. So I emailed or called a number, I don't remember, and they said, sure, come on over. So they they sent me a call sheet and told me where to be and when, which is basically middle of the night in Epcot at the new mission space, which was just opening at the time. It was in soft openings. And so I arrived, and I was just really excited because at this point, I decided video production of some kind was going to be my career path. And here I was on a professional set, and I was an extra, but I got to see the director and I got to see what the grip department looks like and all the different people on set. And so everything I'd read in a textbook thus far was actually happening in front of my face. And it was a very simple production, but it was just so perfectly clear and understandable what was going on. You know, it was organized chaos, but... It was just a way for me to see, oh, well, that's what the production assistants do, and that's what the lighting guys do. So it was a good experience and um, a really unique experience. I don't think anybody else from my college program did it with me. Yeah, I was really glad for the opportunity. Sure. And how many people can say they were spent the whole night in mission space, slept in the, the playground? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Certainly not very many. So what did you do during that, like uh, during the, the video shoot? I know you were an extra, but did you ride the attraction? Did they just have you standing in you know, queues so that they could get video of people in line? Or you know, what, did, what parts and, or things did you do during that? Um, we did everything. So if you take your experience as a guest, you walk through the queue, Eventually, you watch the pre-show, and then you you load in, and you ride the ride, and then you load out. So we did everything pretty much in that order. For you do every step of it a hundred times. So let me have you guys walk into the queue and line up. Okay, you guys did great. Okay, let's back up. Let's do it again. And each time <laughs> they're doing that, you know, the camera guy's getting something different, but you feel like you're just an idiot because you're like how many times I have to walk in a line. Okay. Right. But, you know, the, the director and stuff, they know what they're doing. And they would rearrange people sometimes. They would try to arrange us into little family pods. And um, I was taking a class while I was on my college program. I had actually dropped out of my class in the college program. <laughs> and my teacher ended up being an extra, too. And she ended up being my mother. Oh, wow. For the production. <laughs> and I hadn't actually told her I was leaving her class. I just sort of disappeared one day. So I was a little embarrassed when I ran back into her and had to explain <laughs> why I never came back. 
Right. But she was my mom, and then they found a little girl slightly shorter than me, and that was my sister, and they found a a very wholesome-looking dad figure, and they put the four of us together. And um, then we walked in and out a whole bunch more times because they liked that setup better, or maybe we were diverse enough. I don't know what they were looking for, but... So literally, just we walk in and the camera's low down to the ground and he's getting shots of all of our feet. And, you know, when you get a close-up of a bunch of feet walking past, it's hard to tell how many people. It looks like a, a whole lot. So it's a way for the sense that this is a really crowded place, even if you don't have that many people. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes you get a higher-up shot of everybody, get wide shots. And you know, they like to make sure that they've got their coverage and then some. Right. And so after we did that, we'd go take a break while they set up the next shot. And, you know, the lighting guys and the, the grips and the production assistants, they all get to work. You know, while we're walking back and forth in our lines every now and then, the production assistants are basically hanging out waiting or hanging out at the, the food table. <laughs> so when we're done our stuff, we go hang out at the food table, get some coffee, and they get to work. And then we would go to the next step. So after you wait in line what's the next thing you do you go into the pre-show and they load you in there so that's what we did we went into the pre-show and we stood there in our little numbers and they say you're number one two three or four in that row and then they they place you and they they had a cast member actually there in costume lining us up and then they pretend to watch the video i don't think we actually watched the actual video because that would take forever Mm -hmm. so pretend to watch the video and we've you know, then we'd back up and we'd do it again and load into our numbers, do it more perfect this time and, you know, <laughs> stare up at the blank TV screen pretending. And, you know, we're not trained actors. I don't, I'm not a very good actress. So I'm like, oh, that looks interesting. And, you know, you, as you got later in the night, we, we got the case of the giggles more and more, which means we had to take more and more takes. Right. But, <laughs> you know, so each step of the way it was the same thing. You know, after you've, completed that and the directors got what they need then we go back and chug some more coffee into us and then go on to the next thing and it went on like that until we got into the actual ride and so for the actual ride there's a couple times we're just loading in and out of the ride and then they actually had little cameras and now we have gopros and they're tiny they would have been perfect but those weren't around yet they just had Mm -hmm. the standard definition little cameras that they stuck in certain people's faces, people they thought would give really good facial expressions. And so they stuck one in mine, and I was all excited because I'm like, wow, I must be a chosen one. <laughs> and so thinking like, oh, I've got to make the best facial expression ever. And then you're, you know, you're on the ride, and that was my first time riding it. So I didn't really have much control over my facial expressions. And I, right. I don't think they ever showed them, so I must not have been that good. But... We rode the ride probably, I don't know, six, eight times that night in a row. Wow. Each time just switching out the little things. They change a couple people around or they they put a mic on me at one point to get some good screams. But again, I I don't think I've ever heard my scream on TV, so (laughs) I have to assume it wasn't very good. The shot that you see most, especially on the Netflix, when they put a camera off to my side, which is actually in mission space, not dangerous, but it's, you know, if you want to look to the side, you're going to get sick. And there's this camera, like, right at my profile. And I really didn't want to get sick, so I kept trying to ignore it. And it gets a a profile 
shot of me um, in the ride. And that's what you'll see on, on Netflix. Oh, nice. Okay. And there was one, yeah, there was one woman. I don't remember her name, but she has the best facial expressions, and she's shown all the time. You see her. She <laughs> has, like, a, a small afro, and she is fantastic. She was cracking us up all night. So when you, if you watch, you know, take a look for her because she was great. Best face <laughs> ever. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Did you get nauseous at all with writing it that much in a row? Um, no, actually I didn't, which is a little bit surprising. Um, I think it has to do with my age because I wrote it again last year when I was in Disney World and I felt pretty sick afterwards. So <laughs> I have to say I'm just getting old now, but at the time I was okay. Hmm. Okay then. Yeah. Good. Or I was so tired I just couldn't feel it anymore because we got pretty delirious. <laughs> that could be too. Yeah. <laughs> I could be nauseous or I could just have gone crazy by now. I really don't know. Yeah. Same thing in the end. <laughs> right, right. A, a whole night in mission space and all that. I think it's latex flooring or there's some kind of smell in that after pre or the post-show area because they have the, the children's play area there. It all kind of just seeped in as one memory. I can't really distinguish the smell from the atmosphere. That whole night is just sort of one sensory overload. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. But I couldn't take enough. I um I crawled into the children's playground. They have those tubes that they crawl through. Mm -hmm. And I crawled up in one of the tubes and I hid and I went to sleep for a couple of minutes. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Now you had also mentioned being in the PhilharMagic shoot. Mm-hmm. We may not actually see you in it, but you you did it. Was it yeah. the same kind of experience? Yeah. It was pretty similar. It was a much larger group because the audience is so much bigger. Mm -hmm. And I actually, I hate to admit it, I, I showed up late, which is something you should never do on a film set. But I had gotten some other production assistants, and my 18-year-old self felt cocky. I don't know. I was like, I can show up whenever I want. Well, you shouldn't. And <laughs> a lesson I learned <laughs> later in life. But um, So I showed up late, which means that I was in the back. And they kind of, they were nice about it and they stuck me in, which was gracious of them. If it were my set, I would have told them to go home. But mm -hmm. I, I was snuck into the audience and it was also my first time seeing Silhar Magic, which was very cool. So it was kind of like getting a special VIP viewing, except for that you walked in and out 10 times. But I don't remember it being quite as excruciating as it was from Mission Space. And it wasn't in the middle of the night, I guess, because it didn't a building that wasn't even open yet, we could do it during the day. Oh. So that alleviated some of that pressure of being overly tired, and it was more normal hours. So, oh, okay. That makes sense. Yeah. I don't remember that one quite as well as I remember Christian Space. I don't think it has as big of an impact on me because it was so normal. It wasn't mm -hmm. my first set at that point. It was my second set, but I don't know. It, we went in and out a few times, but I think it was a much shorter shoot, too, if I remember right. So you didn't have to watch PhilharMagic 15 times no. in a row? If I did, I don't remember it. Or maybe I just really liked PhilharMagic and I enjoyed every time. <laughs> that could be, too. Not to say I didn't like Mission Space, but I remember it being a lot of fun. And I actually brought a college program friend of mine with me that time. But I remember for me, it was more about trying to network with the light chip entertainment production crew mm -hmm. and trying to get an internship or a job. And 
they just knew me as a red shirt girl. Some of them didn't even know my name except for like the one production assistant. But I was doing my best and it actually it taught me some lessons about networking and what to say and what not to say. So I did not end up with an internship from them. But I tried really hard at that one, and I probably wasn't as focused on what I needed to be focused on, which probably didn't help. Yeah, probably not. Do you have any of the lessons that you could share that you learned about networking and what to say and not to say? Yeah, people like people who are go-getters and really ambitious and who really want to learn. So if you make everything about improving yourself, improving your abilities, and learning the skills, then people will be more receptive really don't like people who go in thinking too cocky about themselves and thinking they know everything. And if I, as a person who now knows the industry, can help somebody learn and become better at their job, then that makes me feel good because, you know, then someone has improved their lot in life because of something that I was able to teach them. But if you go in thinking you know everything or you're not ambitious enough, if you just hold down the the snack table no one's going to think you can do anything and trust you with more work. So when it comes to networking, just trying to know how to be sort of the fine line between being in their face and knowing when to back off. Just excitement and energy and being a sponge is like the biggest thing, and people pick up on that really quickly. Everyone loves to help and have some impact on people's lives. So if you're the type of person who can show them that they can have an impact in your life, that you're an open book. That's the type of people I think most people are looking to spend time on and put effort into helping. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, why invest the time in someone if they're not open to receiving what you have to teach them or you don't think they're going to actually do anything with what they get? Yeah, and I think that's the biggest thing is just not being sure they'll do everything with it. Once you help them, where is that going to lead them if they just let your health go and say that was great by things and letting nothing about it then was it worth time. Right. Okay. Now I want to go back even before your dance troupe performed because mm-hmm. you mentioned to me your first visit mm-hmm. uh, to Walt Disney World and, and your first childhood memory and its connection to Walt Disney World. And that really ties into, I think, to a lot of your love for Disney and wanting to work there and everything. It kind of started here, it sounds like. So could you share that story? Yes, of course. So it's funny because I don't remember my Disney trip explicitly. I, I remember the the car ride home. And you know, I remember the details, like the faux leather seats in the back of my dad's Blue Horizon. And I remember hugging a Shamu. So I have to assume we went to SeaWorld also. Sounds like it. <laughs> I don't remember it. But I, I was hugging Shamu, and I could see you know, Disney World fading into the background, and I was crying. And it's my first memory. I don't really remember. I was three years old, and I just remember the sadness of, of leaving, which I don't know what psychology says about that emotion being the first memory. Maybe it woke me up into consciousness or something. But, um, <laughs> you know, it's just so sad to leave Disney World. And my parents decided at some point that we were going to get a dog. And to, I guess, make me feel better, they made this announcement on the way back. And they said, we're going to get a dog. We'll pick out a puppy. We'll have to think of a name. And I can just see my parents being like, we have a crack and kitten back. What do we do? Let's try to cheer her up with anything. Right. So 
I remember naming the dog. We hadn't picked it out yet. We hadn't decided what breed yet or anything, but the dog's name ended up being Mickey. And he ended up being an English Spring Spaniel, and he was the best dog. And it's when we named him was on that trip to get me to stop crying when we were leaving Disney World. <laughs> wow. Was there any other trips between that one and your dance troupe performing? Yeah. I mean, there were so many trips. I, I can't count them anymore. It seems like every milestone was a trip to Disney World. Really? Yeah. I mean, even between them, we went in 89... We went in 92, 96 was my bat mitzvah year. So my parents had told me you could have a big party for your bat mitzvah or you could take a trip. My brother is older than me. He had elected to take a trip. So I actually wanted both. I'm a have my cake and eat it too kind of person. Right. And so I elected for a smaller party. And then I took the rest of the money and I took my family to Disney World. And I did the budget. My parents said, here's the amount of money you have. Here's a spreadsheet. Do with it what you will. And I was a 13-year-old making my number breakdowns and how much is the hotel going to cost and how much is food going to cost. And I did the whole breakdown to make sure that I had enough money for both the small party and the trip for the four Have you ever experienced uncontrollable bouts of geekdom? If so, the Anomaly podcast may be right for you. In clinical studies, Anomaly's interviews, convention reports, commentary on geek culture, games, sci-fi and fantasy television, literature, and film provided a feeling of fullness while promoting health for optimal geekiness. The Anomaly podcast is not suitable for all people. Only geekily active cool chicks with a healthy sense of humor should listen. Geekily active cool guys should listen, too. Anomaly has resulted in sudden fits of squee. Broad smiles may appear without warning and could become permanent. The most common side effects of Anomaly are unconsciously joining in the Gamma Quadrant golf clap, out loud, at work, to the amusement of co-workers, and attempting to interject opinions aloud to hosts who can't hear the listener. But in all cases, the benefits outweigh the risks. Ask your anomaly if you're healthy enough for entertainment of this caliber. You don't need a doctor's messy handwriting to obtain a free subscription. Anomaly is available over-the-counter at Stitcher Radio and in the iTunes, Zune, and BlackBerry stores. You can also stream episodes of Anomaly and Anomaly Supplemental at anomalypodcast.com. That's A-N-O-M-A-L-Y podcast.com. Just one one-hour episode provides 24 hours of relief and never leaves a bad taste in your mouth. Music by JewelBeat.com That brings us to the end of this week's show. A very special thank you to Rachel Schur for being my guest and to you for listening. Be sure to come back next time for the conclusion of our interview. If you've worked for the Walt Disney Company in any capacity, and would like to share a positive story, email me at podcast at storiesofthemagic.com or call the listener feedback line at 734-23-STORY anytime 24 hours a day. And if you'd like to be a guest on the show, let me know and we'll talk, just like Rachel and I did. If you're a Disney guest of any Disney experience and had an encounter or an interaction with a cast member that made some extra Disney magic, or if you've had any special Disney experience you want to share, I'd love to hear from you, too. 
Maybe you have a special backlot to her memory. Email me at podcast at storiesofthemagic.com or call the listener feedback line at 734-23-STORY and tell me about your experience. Subscribe to Stories of the Magic in iTunes, the Xbox Music Store, on the website, or you can hear Stories of the Magic while on the go with Stitcher Smart Radio. If you like the show, please rate and review Stories of the Magic in iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or wherever else you listen to the show and can rate it. Those ratings help make the podcast more visible, so it's easier for people to find. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, visit storiesofthemagic.com and leave a comment on the show notes for this or any episode. While you're there, check out the show notes for useful links from each episode, too. Please like the podcast on Facebook at facebook.com slash storiesofthemagic. Follow the show on Twitter at twitter.com slash storiesofmagic and tweet out that you're listening. Pin it on Pinterest, plus one on Google+. Tell your friends about the show. Keep letting others know that you're listening so they can join in the magic. Finally, this episode has been brought to you again by Leaving Conformity Coaching. If you're looking for more joy, passion, and purpose in your life, let me help you break free from your limiting, performance-based natural identity and embrace your supernatural kingdom identity. You don't have to earn it, you just have to understand it. To find out more about how I can help you, access some free resources and read my blog, Faith and the Magic Kingdom, visit leavingconformitycoaching.com stories. I've also got a very exciting and valuable video series I'll be releasing soon, and I can't wait to tell you about it. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Stories of the Magic. There will be other days and other stories. And this tale continues next time. You've been listening to Stories of the Magic with Randy Crane. If you have feedback, want to share a story of your own, or even be a guest on the show, write to Randy at podcast at storiesofthemagic.com or call our listener feedback line, 734-23-STORY. And don't forget to visit the website, storiesofthemagic.com for show notes from this and every episode and to leave your comments. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, live your dreams and make the magic in your world.